Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to the next episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm Uriah Young, filling in for Lucas Johnson. I'm here with Christopher Klein. We're coming at you with some more Sixers news, NBA talk. What's going on, Chris? Not much. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. It's it's a sad day in Philadelphia. All these losses just keep keep racking up between the Eagles and Flyers and obviously the Phillies. But, you know, there's some good stuff to look forward to with the Sixers, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I guess if if you want to take the more optimistic <laughs> perspective, you know me, Mister Mister Optimism. So, so yeah, it's there's a lot to talk about. We have some some positive things to look forward to regarding Ben Simmons, and we're going to get into some coaching options. And of course, uh, when we get to toward the end, we're going to mention a possible trade for one All Star point guard. We'll we'll save that for the end. So go ahead, Chris, and lead us on in. Yeah, so we're going to jump right into to Ben Simmons, the name you mentioned. He was announced to the first-team all-defense for this season. He also finished fourth in defensive player of the year voting, so pretty high honors for him. I guess we'll go right to you, Uriah. What were your thoughts on that? Do you feel like it was well-deserved? Um, where, where do you stand with that? I think in the regular season, Ben did a terrific job playing defense. And not just filling the passing lanes and, and getting some some nice steals and fast breaks, but actually playing lockdown defense, staying in front of his man. And there were several instances where his passion through uh, just came through his play. And there was one game against Brooklyn where he was just so fired up that they came up with some big stops and ended up with a big win because of his defensive tenacity. So I'm I'm excited for him. I think it is well-deserved. And I just think that he needs to continue to build upon that. Don't don't take your foot off the gas and keep striving to be the the best player he can be. Not just on defense, and but you know me on offense because I I like to see him shoot a little bit more. What about you? Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I I think we saw flashes of this last season, um, especially in the Toronto series uh, the year before when he was guarding Kawhi. He did a tremendous job there, um, but. I mean, I think there's a pretty strong argument to be made that he was one of the four or five most impactful defenders last year. And obviously, uh, the media voters agreed with that. You know, on ball, like you mentioned, he's one of the best in basketball. There are very few guys I would take over him, especially on those bigger, stronger, all-NBA-level wings. Uh, you know, I think he's pretty close to being on Kawhi's level uh, when, when he's locked in. And you mentioned the passing lanes. He's tremendous at getting his hands uh, in places where he can steal the basketball, he can even protect the rim to a degree. On the weak side, just a really tremendous all-around defender, one of the most versatile defenders in basketball, bar none, 6'10", 
can guard all five positions. He spends time guarding all five positions um, at a rate that, that really nobody else does. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's very well-deserved. I, I think he's going to be in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation for many years to come. Uh, he, he, he slacked off a little bit in the bubble once Philly got there before the injury. But I, I think it's fair to chalk that up to rust more than anything else, just because I think at this point we have a pretty solid uh, you know, base performance for him. So I, I think he's one of the best defenders in the league. I think it's a well-deserved honor, and I expect it's an honor he'll be getting multiple times before before he retires. And I guess we can kind of segue into his future outlook with that. Uriah, do you see Ben maybe becoming an MVP-type candidate in the future if he can improve, like you said, on offense with the jump, with his jumper, um, in addition to his, his defensive prowess? I'm going to go into this response, Chris, uh, by prefacing and saying this. I wrote an article about trading Ben Simmons, and I never thought I would get as much backlash about it. And and you know what? Good for Ben. He has a lot of ardent supporters. And I, I just have to say, it's not that I don't like Ben Simmons. It's just I'm frustrated because he has such physical tools and talent to be an MVP. But until his mental state gets to a point where he's comfortable shooting outside of the paint, he'll never reach his full potential. And and I I went to about, I think I went to seven games last year and I saw him in person and he just, he's just such a unique specimen of athlete. And when it comes to his athleticism, he he's way up there. I mean, he's one of the elite athletes in the entire league. So if he can find some balance between his defensive dedication and his offensive dedication, then he can be an MVP. Now, we know that this team, uh, this league, Chris, is pretty competitive in terms of high-caliber players between LeBron, Giannis, um, even Tatum. I could see him being in the, in the talk for future MVP. But for, for Ben to really get to that level, he has to step up. He has to start shooting. And I think everybody knows it, including him. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if Ben will ever reach that MVP level. E- even if he does become a better shooter, I just don't think he's that type of scorer, and I don't really expect him to become that type of scorer. Um, like you said, we have so many talented players in the league right now. MVP is usually reserved for you know the three or four best guys you know on the planet. You know this year we have LeBron, Giannis, and Harden are only the three guys who are really legitimate contenders. And outside of those three, you know you have Luca who's coming up. You mentioned Tatum who may be a few years out. There aren't really a ton of guys who are true like MVP level guys each year. I don't I don't really expect many other people to enter that conversation anytime soon. I think Giannis and LeBron and Harden for at least the next couple of years pretty much have that locked down. You, you could maybe mention Kawhi, but with, with his injuries and his, his load management, I don't really see it. Um, you know, Jokic is someone you can maybe throw in there, but I, I think there's a path to Ben being maybe like a top 10 player in terms of impact in the future. I definitely think he has that ceiling, but as far as someone people are going to vote for MVP, unless he's scoring, you know, over 25 a game, which I just don't think is that kind of player. I don't know if he's going to get that type of recognition. I think that you made a good point with Luka Doncic. I completely forgot about him. 
he he's I, I I see a player like him, I get immediately jealous and I'm thinking, wow, what what did we miss in the scouting report for him? And I know we we weren't high up in the draft to even get him, but you know, just some teams get lucky. They they luck out in the draft and and the Sixers, you know our history. We haven't had much luck at all. Uh so you you definitely make make some good points with that. So we're gonna move on. And this past week it just seems to me, Chris, that JJ Reddick is he's on to something. He's articulate, he's he's smart, and you know, I think he's setting himself up for a career after basketball. And good for him. So last week he had another guest on his popular podcast, and JJ Reddick was talking to Kevin Durant, former MVP, about a variety of issues. And of course, the 76ers came up. And basically what Kevin Durant said, if for the people out there listening weren't able to catch it, he uh, mentioned the fact that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid have had a, a really rough challenge in Philadelphia, and mainly because, according to him, that the turnover rate with their roster has just been out of this world. And he basically said that it's really difficult for players of their stature, no matter how good you are, to develop chemistry and to have a cohesiveness to build a win a winning culture or become a championship contender. So my question to you, Chris, is how valid is Durant's perspective when it comes to Embiid and Simmons struggle to win with such a high roster turnover? Yeah, I, I think Katie is is spot on and I think it speaks to my larger general point that I don't think the Sixers' struggles are really on Embiid and Simmons. I don't think it's their fault that the Sixers are in the position they're in. I, I really think it has more to do with the people around them. Um, but, yeah, I think he's spot on. You know, you start that first year with Joe and Ben. You have Rocco, Dario, JJ. None of those guys are ball handlers. They're all basically four spacers. You're basically clearing the middle of the floor for Joe and Ben. They're handling the lion's share of the workload. Then the next season, you bring in Jimmy. A few games in, you bring in Tobias at the deadline. You're working two borderline all-star level players into the mix midseason without any training camp. Uh, they didn't really figure out Jimmy's role until the playoffs, and that meant Ben moving off ball and adjusting to a completely different different kind of play style. And then, you know, you finally have a team there that looks like it can compete, that looks like it can make some noise. And then you let Jimmy walk, you let J.J. walk, and you bring in Al Horford and Josh Richardson. It's a completely different style. The offense doesn't flow or fit like it used to. You have Embiid playing with, with basically another center clogging the paint along with Ben. And, you know, it, it's just an unfortunate turn. But I think he's right. You know, you, you have to have some level of consistency and continuity to win in this league. And the Sixers just haven't had it. And I don't think it's going to be – I don't really think it's been fair to Joe or Ben uh, – frankly. And uh, I can understand the beads frustration. We talked about it in recent podcast episodes. And it's just gotten to a point where the front office needs to really look in the mirror, figure out what their plan is and, and commit to it. Coming from a guy like Durant that he he's been around and he's seen the NBA from multiple teams now that he's with Brooklyn. And it just seems to me that when he was speaking about this topic with J.J. Redick. Remember, J.J. Redick was on the Sixers for two seasons, and he saw it himself. And I think he even mentioned before he got there, he was 
listing all the different players that were there before him. How can a team develop any type of unity within the system, whether it's defense or offense, and be expected to be successful? Uh, am I giving Ben and Joe kind of a, a pass for their uh, level of expectations in terms of them not meeting those expectations? No, I'm not going to give them a pass for that. But I think Durant does have a good point. If you look at any Fortune 500 company and you have a culture and, and it's just all this turnover and you get new people in different positions, different departments, new management, you're not going to have the best product for any sector of business. And and I think that translates to professional sports. Yeah. And I mean, you look at the, the Sixers season, couldn't be to played better. Sure. Could have been have maybe been more aggressive in spots, taking more jumpers. Sure. I think that's valid. But when you look at who the front office put around them, they've basically taken every possible measure not to build around Embiid and Simmons, which is just terrible. It's an abject failure on the front office's part not to put shooters and playmakers around a post-dominant center and someone like Ben who's at his best in transition and who needs an empty paint. So it's basically just logic in that sense. And this front office has failed time and time again. They didn't bring back the superstar who we have seen close games in the playoffs, who we know that Joel liked quite a bit. They let him walk. Uh, pretty blatantly, I think at this point, we, we can pin that on Philadelphia. It, it's just at some point, well, you know, what do you expect? You you can't actively harm Joel and Ben's situation like they have and, and, and expect great production all the time. So I, I, I do think it really falls on the rest of the organization more than Joel and Ben specifically. Now, if this is true, and we both agree with Kevin Durant and J.J. Reddick's assessment of the turnover rate affecting the improvement of Ben and Joe and, and just the Sixers organization in general. So if this is true, and if you and I both agree with this, should Elton Brand try and keep the roster mostly the same to build continuity? <laughs> I, and you I mentioned mean, shooter. You mentioned shooters. So, so I, the answer is <laughs> no, right? Because <laughs> It's unfortunate because you go back to last season, everyone said they should have run it back, and they should have. That was the team. You know, you go through the process, you accumulate all these assets with the goal to draft a superstar like Embiid and Simmons and to leave you with assets and cap space to go out and get other players. And you're supposed to reach, you know, a final form of sorts. And I think last year's team with Tobias and Jimmy and JJ was it. I think that was the top of the mountain. They should have tapped out there, kept that roster but they took it a step too far. Now you have a team that doesn't make any sense and you have to, you know, have major roster turnover again or else you're really going nowhere. So they've really written themselves into a corner there and it's just kind of disappointing. Again, it's really unfair to Joe and Ben. You got to feel bad for them at this point. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Continuity. In order to build continuity, you have you have to have a quality roster. And I'm sorry, Kevin Durant. I, I believe you, and I trust your your MVP status and perspective. But like you said, Chris, we don't have shooters. We let shooters go in the past two years, and the re- end result, you just have this clogged paint. Embiid just can't get enough space. Simmons is still reluctant to shoot. 
So yeah, there has to be a major overhaul. And we talked about it last week and then the week before is it's it's going to be almost impossible to move Richardson, Horford, and Tobias Harris. It, it, I mean, they just make so much money. Now, Richardson might be an easier piece to include in a multiplayer trade, but who, I mean, come on, Chris, who who wants a guy who's the age of Horford? And then, of course, you're going to have Tobias Harris making as much money as he does, $180 million, uh, over his contract. It's just going to be almost impossible. So I I want to build continuity, and I, I definitely want to believe what, what those guys were saying. But right now, Brand, he really has a daunting task on, on hand. Yeah, I mean, continuity is great. I think we both obviously agree that it's important. But when the roster doesn't make any sense on paper and the team is going nowhere, then obviously, you, you know, you have to make adjustments on the fly. You know, funnily enough, I think Richardson's probably the one guy I would want to keep out of out of that trio that you mentioned. Um, but he's he's also the easiest to move. I, I don't know if he's really a problem. If the roster makes more sense uh, around them, I think his defense is big for Philly, and I, I think he's a pretty good offensive player in the right role, which he just wasn't in this past season, in part due to to the roster construction. So we'll see what happens. I think the Sixers should try to move. Tobias and, and Horford um, at whatever cost, but it's going to be hard because, like you said, I just don't know who's going to take that money. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens, but we're going to move into the, the coaching conversation now. The Sixers still obviously have not filled the vacancy left by Brett Brown, who was let go a few weeks ago, but we do have some new names that have entered the conversation who have recently uh, left their respective teams, and the first one we're going to talk about is Billy Donovan, who mutually agreed to part ways with the OKC Thunder after their first-round playoff loss. Uriah, what do you think he would bring to the Sixers as a head coach, and is he someone you you would want to see them heavily consider? I like Billy Donovan. I think he has a, a great grasp on uh, what players can do at certain positions, he definitely uh, made a successful transition from college to the pros. I remember watching his teams in Florida just really dominate for several years. And the irony is that, if people don't know, that uh, one of his former players from Florida in that championship team plays for the Sixers right now, and we're talking about Al Horford. So I think Donovan, I think he learned uh, uh, you know, quickly that this is a, a player's league. And when he came to Oklahoma City, he he inherited some some pretty some pretty good talent in terms of all stars, and and those stars moved on. But you saw what he did when everyone doubted the chances for Oklahoma City. I mean, Westbrook was traded. You had an an older version of Chris Paul who showed that he's defying you know the test of time and had a great season. But even with all these new players that were brought in, you saw Billy Donovan create a system where they thrived and they pushed the Houston Rockets to a game seven. I mean, to the last play in game seven. So I think Billy Donovan has the, uh, the smarts. I think he has the, the player coach um, connection. And I, I think he brings something that definitely Brett Brown could not relate to when it came to um, connecting with players and, and really maximizing players at their position. What do you think? 
Yeah, no, I, I, I agree on pretty much every front. I think Billy Donovan's a great coach. Um, aptly enough, he, he's gone through plenty of roster turnover with OKC and done a pretty tremendous job navigating that. Um, and a big criticism of this OKC team was offensively. They didn't really have a ton of shooting outside of CP3 and Danilo Gallinari. That was a, a big issue offensively in the, the Rocket series that they lost. And he, he's been able to navigate those limitations, those roster limitations, fairly well uh, to create very competitive, very hardworking, very, you know, feisty teams that have competed hard and, and won a lot more games than, frankly, they maybe should have. So I do, I do think he's a great coach. Perhaps he could engage Horford in a way Brett Brown couldn't. I, I would be interested to see how that situation plays out, though, since Horford is probably a bench player at this point, and, you know, would Billy Donovan be able to hold him accountable given their past and their relationship? I'd, I'd be interested to see how that dynamic would work, hypothetically. But, yeah, I think he's a good coach. He should definitely be in the conversation. I don't know if he's the coach I would pick, if I could pick anyone off the face of the earth right now. But he, he, he's earned his reputation. He's leaving OKC because he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild, and Philly is very much not in a rebuild despite all the all the conversation around where you know what their direction is they're they're built to compete to a degree so that that's their plan right now so i i do think donovan would make a, a good bit of sense and i guess we can move into our next question which would be do you think donovan would want to coach in philadelphia do you think with all the drama surrounding this organization and all the questions the poor roster which I think everyone is aware of at this point. Do you think someone like Billy Donovan, who is sure to have other suitors, maybe even in like a Houston, now that they've lost their coach, do you think he'd want to come and coach the Sixers? Well, I think when you analyze his decision to leave the comforts of a cushy college job where he was the big man on campus, he had two national championships under his belt, and then he decided, oh, I'm going to go to the pros and, and I'm going to coach uh, guys who make twice as much as I do. I think if he's willing to make that transition into the unknown of the NBA, then why not go to the unknown as the Philadelphia 76ers, the big dumpster fire that we've we've become over the past several years with all the drama. Would he prefer coaching in Philly versus Houston? I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he'll talk to his people and he'll he'll figure out what are his um, you know, what are what are the things that are most important to him? What what does he want as a priority in terms of how much power will he have? How much say will he have? And of course, there's the the personnel. If he uh sees what Philly's doing versus what Houston's going to be doing. I mean, is Houston going to keep Daryl Morey? I mean, that could be a important component toward him deciding to put his name out to Houston versus the Sixers. It, it's 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 a big question mark. Again, he took the risk to jump from college to the NBA. If he if he has the the gall to do that, then why not go to the Sixers? For sure. And and I I do think of note in this hypothetical with Houston is that the Rockets have two stars who he's familiar with, obviously in, in Westbrook and Harden. So that might have some sway in his decision just because he knows those guys, Russ, especially he's been with for a long time. So maybe that would sway him if Houston does in fact have interest. There's been no reporting on that front, but I assume it will come up 
because Billy Donovan is Billy Donovan. He's a name we all know. He's probably the premier name on the market at this point alongside Ty Lue. So I'm, I'm sure he'll be in that conversation. Um, but for all the slack we've given Philadelphia, they do have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, who are two tremendous players regardless of fit. They're a perennial playoff team. They're going to make the playoffs. It's not really the worst job in the world. Uh, you know, we can talk about, you know, how could, what can a new coach actually do with this roster if it stays the same? Who knows? But at the end of the day, they're a good team at least, and there's, there's something to be said for making the playoffs every year and coaching Joel Embiid. So I'm sure it's an appealing job to many. I do think he would probably consider it if Philadelphia was willing to pay the extra bucks which we'll see, you know, they have, they still owe Brett Brown roughly $10 million, which we were talking about before the show. Is Philly going to be able to pay top dollar for a new coach while they're paying Brett Brown still? I don't know. With this ownership group, I'm a bit skeptical, but we'll, we'll see. Well, but, they do have, they do have two owners who made uh, some top 20 or 50 list of billionaires in the world. And, yeah. and two of the owners, they're in that list. So I think they have plenty of money to throw around. Oh, they, they definitely have plenty of money, and they did just try to buy the Mets. So on that front, it makes a great deal of sense. But at the same time, they were also, you know, trying to slash pay checks during the pandemic. So yeah, that was a it's that it's was been, not a good it's look. a bumpy ride. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we we've also seen them, you know, sell second round picks for cash. So they haven't maybe been the most. Uh, free-flowing with their wallets, even though, you know, we look at the payroll and, you know, it maybe tells a different story. So we'll see. And, and just to move on here, speaking of Houston, Mike D'Antoni uh, announced today, Sunday, that he, he will not return to Houston and that he's ready for a new chapter. Um, and not long after that was announced, he was tied to the Sixers job, the Sixers opening uh, by Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN. What are your thoughts on D'Antoni, Uriah? And do you think he's someone Philadelphia should look at? I think the only way that D'Antoni comes to the Sixers is if they make a, a key off-season acquisition. And if they could reunite D'Antoni with Carmelo Anthony, I think that would be a nice match made in, <laughs> match made in heaven. We know how much they love each other, right? No, nah, I'm just, just joking. <laughs> we know we know Melo hates uh, D'Antoni, and D'Antoni can't stand the side of Melo, but to be honest, I, I, I don't see D'Antoni fitting with this team. It, it's quite apparent that he likes to run and gun. If you go if you go back to his Phoenix days, right, with Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, all those guys, he likes to get up and down the court. He basically told his organization, his owners, hey, I want to go small ball. I want Robert Covington to be my center or uh, or power forward. Who who was the the guy that played center for them? PJ PJ Tucker. PJ, yeah, come on. I mean, you have that guy who has that philosophy, and now all of a sudden he's going to come to the Sixers where they have a back to the basket big man and Joel Embiid. I don't see it. It, it. it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I don't even think he's even in the atmosphere or the realm of of consideration. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, so I've been a fan of D'Antoni for a while. I've on this podcast, you know, talked about him maybe being a potential candidate if Houston let him go. Turns out he's basically letting Houston go. But, I mean, you mentioned his offensive proclivities. He's probably one of the most, you know, 
innovative offensive minds we've we've seen in the coaching realm in a while. You know, the seven seconds or less Suns with Steve Nash, and obviously Houston re- really changed the game as well. Uh, you know, it would obviously be a great deal of whiplash going from that Houston Rockets roster to this Philly roster with like 12 big men and, and no shooters. But if anyone can maybe devise up some sort of system that maximizes the personnel on this roster, maybe it's the Antony. I wouldn't mind letting him try. Again, he's someone who has earned his reputation. He's been a very successful coach, even if he hasn't won a championship yet. I, I would personally, you know, favor him over quite a quite a many, few many guys. I'd probably pick him over Billy Donovan if we're just really? going to those two. So, so, all right, so you get you climb into the mind of D'Antoni. You climb into the mind and you report back to us right here, right now. What is he going to do with Joel Embiid with the type of system that he's run in the past? Who knows? I mean, obviously, <laughs> he would have to change his philosophies quite a bit. He'd have to do things that he's never done before. But at the same time, you have Ben Simmons, who is one of the best transition players on the face of the earth, who creates more three-point opportunities than anyone in the league, despite the Sixers' absolute refusal to shoot the ball at times. So I, I do think he and Ben would, would maybe be able to operate on, on the same wavelength there. I think he'd be able to get a lot out of Simmons. And if the front office can maybe build a roster that's more you know, uh, in line with D'Antoni's uh, sensibilities this this offseason we'll see um, I think it would be in, an interesting situation and j- this is going to be a bit of a spoiler for our next topic but we're, we're going to talk about Chris Paul at some point in the very near future here um, both Billy Donovan and Mike D'Antoni have coached Chris Paul in the past few years so if the Sixers do really plan to go after someone like Chris Paul we got two coaches here who know him very well would maybe know how to work him into a system. So I, I, I do think that's something that we would have to consider. And they both coached Mello, who you mentioned earlier. So <laughs> yeah, love we'll, Mello. We'll see. I would subscribe to your logic, Chris, if Ben Simmons was on the team without Joel Embiid. If the Sixers were able to, let's say they would trade Embiid to Portland for CJ McCollum and, and some other guys, um, I could see your logic of bringing D'Antonio to the Sixers, I could see it making sense. But right now, I, I don't see it. It doesn't make sense to me. He likes to push the ball, and obviously any team that he's ever had has had good three-point shooters, and we don't have any. <laughs> we have very subpar three-point shooters, and I get it. You you admire his his innovation. You admire how he's conducted himself and the teams that he's coached in the past decade. I'm just not feeling it. I'm not a D'Antoni guy. I'd, I'd much rather go with Billy Donovan. And you did make a good point with both of those guys coached Chris Paul. And that's a good segue into the next topic. So we all saw Chris Paul uh, go down in seven games against his former team, the Houston Rockets. And for as old as he is, I remember watching him, Chris, when he was with New Orleans. This was 12 years ago. And I just remember seeing him playing down in New Orleans with, uh, I think it was David West. And they just had such a, a really fun team to watch. And this was before they were the Pelicans. They were the Hornets at the time. So when I was watching Chris Paul back then, and then he ended up at the Clippers, obviously he went to Houston and OKC now. You've seen him put together a body of work that is stellar. He is definitely going to be a Hall of Fame player. 
And the question is, where is he going to go next? So a lot of Sixers fans, and I saw it on social media, they were putting it out there. Oh, we would trade Chris Paul for this, these two guys, or these three guys. Well, what do you think, Chris? What, what would the team be like? What would this Sixers team be like with Chris Paul leading the point? Yeah, so just the, off the bat, I have personally probably been a bit excessive in my writing about Chris Paul on the site. Pretty sure I've written at least three or four articles centered around Chris Paul and the idea of him being on the Sixers. So I'm quite a big fan of it. I, I think you mentioned he, he's one of the quintessential point guards, really, of all time. Um, and even at age 35, in his twilight years, he's probably one of the 10 or 20 best players in the NBA, at least last season he was. He led an OKC team that no one had really high hopes for um, to the five seed, and they took Houston, a very good team, despite all, all the troubles they had against L.A., a very good team to seven games without a ton of offense on that roster around him. So I do think he deserves major credit for that. And, I mean, you know, you look at the league right now, it's like, what, Steph, Lillard, Luka, if you want to call him a point guard, and then CP3. So he's one of the four or five best point guards in the NBA still. So to me, it's obvious if you can get him for even a semi-reasonable price, you do it, especially if that means getting rid of, you know, Tobias Harris's contract or Al Horford's contract. Um, Paul's contract is uh, a doozy in itself, no doubt. He's also very old and relative to the, you know, the NBA timeline, which uh, comes with its risks. But when you've written yourself into a corner like this Philadelphia team, you have no cap space. You have no real flexibility. You're going to have to take some sort of swing for the fences to get out of this and to give yourself a chance to contend. Chris Paul would be one such swing. I think he would put them immediately back in title contention if he's healthy and if he's at his best. I think you can make him work very easily with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I don't foresee that being an issue. I think they would go together quite well, honestly. And, I mean, he's the point god. You know, <laughs> yeah. he, he, you, you can't really turn that down. So as long as it doesn't take like 12 picks, I say go for it, 100%. Yeah, if you look at what he did going from Houston to Oklahoma City, he basically had zero stars with him, right? He didn't. He had Gallinari, uh, Stephen Adams, uh, uh, Gil, I, can't, I can hardly say this kid's name, Gildress Alexander. Am I saying that right? Gilchrist? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gilchrist, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was the lone all-star. And speaking of all-star and the all-star game, did you see him get up for that, that alley-oop dunk? Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. I mean, for a 35-year-old, that's not too shabby. I, I, I think Chris Paul, he would bring a tremendous amount of experience and leadership to the Sixers that they sorely need. And what I've been reading on Twitter in particular is he would hold guys accountable. Isn't he the president of the Players' Union? Yep. Yeah, I mean, he that alone, when, when you walk into a room with, with him in the locker room, you, you're not messing around. You're all about your business. And I, I think Chris Paul, I, he's a point god, but, but he's so much more than that. I mean, I, I went to the game. I was at the Oklahoma City game. Uh, I forget what month. It might have been January, Chris. And I always get to the Sixers game an, an hour early because I like to see the players shooting around. So I, I look and I see Ben Simmons on the other end clanking three, <laughs> clanking three pointers. He's trying his hardest, and of course he didn't shoot any in that game. But anyway, I digress. 
But on the other end, closer to me, I, I saw Chris Paul just throwing up shots from three three point land, and he must have hit twelve in a row. And he was shooting him, Chris, basically like his eyes were closed. Like it was kind of boring for him, right? Like you're out in the park one day just shooting around by yourself on a nice day. He's just such a smooth player. He's smart. He knows exactly what to do in, in every situation. His only problem is his age and, like you said, his contract. So speaking of that, what do you think, Chris, would be some realistic trades uh, or trade offers that OKC – would accept in exchange for Chris Paul and obviously would fit within the budget in terms of, of money. Yeah. So I, I do think other teams will have interest in Chris Paul, Milwaukee being a chief competitor. So the Sixers are going to have to give up you know, some real assets to get him. Um, the contract is an issue, but you're probably going to have to be giving back um, a worse contract in either Horford or Harris. So you're going to have to add sweeteners uh, to get them to accept that OKC heading into a rebuild, it seems, would maybe be able to be willing to take on those bad contracts, but it's going to take quite a bit of money from Philadelphia or, or draft picks and, and you know assets. But I mean, I think you give them Tobias. I'm happy to part with Matisse, love him to death, but he, he's too limited offensively to get hung up over in a potential Chris Paul deal. You can maybe dangle Shake Milton. And they're probably going to get have to give up at least one or two first round picks. I think that would be probably the baseline, which is a lot again for a 35 year old point guard who's only six feet tall. I understand that, but when you're Philadelphia, when you've given the contracts that you have given out now, you have no cap space for at least three or four seasons. You know, at this point, it's all about making Joel and Ben want to stay beyond their current contracts and, and trying to do as much as he can with the limited time frame of this this roster and how it's currently built so you know you maybe mortgage the future a little bit but honestly you have to at this point you're a playoff team as it is you're kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere in the east as is so maybe chris paul busts and he falls off a cliff you know it's philadelphia that's very possible but conversely if he doesn't bust you could very well win the eastern conference especially if Giannis miraculously forces his way to the West somehow, you know, then the East is wide, wide open, you know, Miami and Boston are great, but they are not like unbeatable juggernauts. So, you know, Chris Paul gives you a real shot. If he's even 80% of his current self, Um, you mentioned, you know, his craft, he's tremendously crafty. He has lost some of that athleticism that he had when he was younger. He's not quite as quick as he once was. But he knows how to maneuver his body. He knows how to use his handles to create space. He's a great shooter, like you mentioned. He can space the floor. He can run those pick and rolls with Joel and Ben. Um, the Sixers have needed more pick and rolls for years now. It's something they never really had the ability to do until Jimmy got here, and then they gave him away. So uh, I think you have to go for it. I think you have to be willing to part with multiple picks. You have to be willing to part with Matisse Thibel. And maybe even oh, Shake Milton. Oh no! no uh, it's you just need killing it's, me with the Thibault. Can't give up on Thibault yet. He, he just got here. He just it's not got even here. Giving up on Thibault. It's. It, I'm. I'm sure Thibault will be a tremendous player. I'm sure he's gonna have a solid career. But it, it, you know, Chris Paul is Chris Paul, and at the end of the day, I do think you you mentioned accountability and leadership. That's huge. I think you know, looking back on it, one of 
Jimmy Butler's best traits was his willingness to hold people accountable and to speak his mind. I think it maybe rubbed Philadelphia the wrong way, but maybe in hindsight, looking back on it, they realize the error in their ways and that they really need someone like that. And Chris Paul is very much on that competitive, hard-nosed you know, wavelength. So I think he would do a world of good. I think he's someone Joe and Ben would both listen to and respect. Um, so 100%. You, you got to do what you got to do. They'll have competition. I don't know if OKC ends up taking on a contract like Tobias Harris's, but you, you got to try. Could he, meaning Chris Paul, could he have the Kawhi Leonard effect on the Sixers where he comes in one year and makes such a difference that they end up winning the championship? 100%. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. I don't, I, I don't know, Chris. I don't, and I, you got, you have Kawhi. to, Obviously, at this point, Kawhi, Kawhi is Kawhi. He's, he's one of the three best players in basketball. But Chris Paul's maybe a fringe top 10 guy. And with who Philly already has on the roster, with Embiid, who could very well be top 10 himself, and Ben, who's you know in that top 15 to 20 range, you, know, you already have superstar talent on the roster. You take out Tobias or Al, who are objectively poor fits. You put in a much better fit in Chris Paul, who can drastically improve the half-court offense, and I think he boosts the team in a way that puts them in title contention in the East. I think they have more top-end talent that way than anyone else in the East, um, even Boston with the leap Jason Tatum has, has made, and even in Milwaukee with Giannis and, and Chris Middleton, who are tremendous players. But... Here, here's, here's where I have to throw darts at your logic. All right, Here's your argument, and here's why it's shot. As much okay. as I like Chris Paul, I just come to this reality. You ready? I come to this realization. If Chris Paul can't win a championship when he's playing with Blake Griffin, J.J. Redick, DeAndre Jordan, and all the other talented players they had on the Clippers, if he can't win one there, and he can't win one with James Harden, the best offensive player on the planet, what makes us think a 35-year-old six foot point guard is going to get Ben and Joe to the promised land. Okay. I just don't see it. I think, I think, I think it's, it's, he's beyond his, I think he's beyond his years. I, I love him. I think he'd be a great addition, but if he hasn't done it elsewhere, I don't think he's going to make a difference here. I mean, that's fair. A hundred percent. I don't think the Sixers would be favorites. You obviously have to beat whoever comes out of the West, but to your point, I think Joel and Ben are much better than Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. That's just how it is. And, you know, the East is a far different animal than the West. Giannis might even be heading West. I think that's a genuine possibility to, you know, pontificate about at this point because he, he clearly is not 100% sold on Milwaukee because he's having meetings with ownership about the direction of the franchise. And you don't normally have that if you're 100% sold on signing an extension this summer. So, <laughs> you know, the East, we've seen that Milwaukee is beatable with Giannis. The Heat and the Celtics are in the Eastern Conference Finals. They are not the most intimidating Eastern Conference Finals teams I've ever seen. You have a very open path to a championship, at least championship contention, if you have a more cohesively built roster. Um, and when the, I think Joe, Ben, and... CP3 together, I think that's as much talent as he's ever played with. And, you know, I, I think it's possible. I don't know if I would say they're 
like favorites to win at all. And I do think age is a definite concern. But like I said, you're not going anywhere with Tobias and Al. You're yeah. Basically stuck in stuck in the mud at this point. So if anything, you, you got to take a risk. You gotta if anything, the dice. if anything, if he does come here, he can be a good mentor and and show Ben the ropes. If if they really want to have him transition to point guard, he can learn a hell of a lot from Chris Paul, and that that'd be a, a nice role for him. And of course, scoring and other aspects of, of the game. So, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, Philly might have shot themselves in the foot already. For all we know, the title window is closed. They messed it up, and there's no path forward. That's very possible. You know, you got to at least try. You got to go for it. You got to take a swing. If it ends with Embiid, you know, heading to Miami and another rebuild, that, you know, that's how, that's how the dominoes fall. But for, for now... With Philly in such a, a precarious position, you, you just have to, you know, roll the dice. All right. Yeah, so thanks again, everyone, of course, for listening. We, we do genuinely appreciate you giving us the time of day, the time of week to, to talk Sixers basketball with all that's going on in this country. Um, I know it's a very stressful time for many of you, so we, we, we really just do genuinely truthfully appreciate it and we have some very exciting topics coming up in the next few weeks we'll help you rejoin us to discuss those topics and all things Sixers we might have a new head coach soon we might have a new point guard in the next few months who knows so we we appreciate it and we'll talk to you all next week Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.